All right, Revelation chapter 6, if you'll open your Bible this morning, Revelation chapter 6, if you're, if you're joining us this morning, maybe the first time, or, or you're tuning in on the live stream the first time, uh, let me just say that we are several weeks into a pretty in-depth study of Revelation chapter 6, and there's really no way to thoroughly catch us up to speed other than just a brief review of what we've been studying. We, we have been studying this opening of the seven-sealed book in Revelation chapter 6. And, and this book is a unique book in the Bible because as these seals are opened, things begin to happen on the earth and in heaven. As a matter of fact, there's one person that was worthy to open the seals of this book, and it's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, and so he is the lamb that was slain who is actually worthy to open these seals and and what we've studied, again, man, I, you know, I, I got to think about this week. I was like, man, we, we've been studying these six seals for now six weeks in a row. And it seems like every week as the seals get open, man, there's, there's devastation, there's tragedy, there's judgment. And man, can I just tell you this morning, as, as we open this sixth seal with John in the book of Revelation, it will be the culmination of everything that we've been studying the last few weeks. It's, it's kind of been bad news, so to speak. Uh, as we've studied through this. But what we're learning is there is going to be a time on this earth called the Great Tribulation or the Tribulation Period where God begins to unfold and unleash His wrath and His judgment on this earth. And, and He's going to call His nation of people, the nation of Israel, to repentance. And man, it's going to be worldwide devastation. And, and so let me just give you the quick review we saw that this first seal that was opened several weeks ago was connected to a horse and a certain rider. It was a white horse, and the rider on that white horse is actually a false Christ. He's a false Christ that comes onto this earth and establishes a false kingdom of false peace. And that is what will be the Antichrist role during the tribulation period. He will come into power through policy, not through power or might. He, and we studied some companion passages in, in Daniel and other places in the Bible, and, and this, this Antichrist will come into to power and position through policy and politics, and he will establish a false peace over the entire world. He will come into power with a bow, but no arrows, as the Bible says. And, and, so, and so, man, there's going to be a man of sin, the man of perdition, that, that ultimately will be a false Christ offering a false peace. By the way, Christ is called the Prince of Peace. And he offers the true peace that's only available through him and a relationship with him. And the world is looking for peace, right? The world's looking for peace. They just don't want it in the person of Christ. And, and so they will absolutely acknowledge this person of the Antichrist and receive him. And they'll buy into a system of false peace. And then we saw this second seal open, and this second seal had connected to it a red horse, and this, this red horse was symbolic of death because this false peace was actually taken from the earth, and, and this rider of this horse gave power for men to kill each other on this earth. And listen, ever since uh, Cain and Abel, man, man has, has killed each other, man has... has, has had ill will toward each other, but during this time and on this earth, when this second seal is open, man, listen, there will be 
death like no other time before. Man will be given over to his own carnality, and there will be no peace any longer on this earth. And that's horrible, man. You think it's bad now. It only gets worse. And then this third seal is opened, and this black horse and the rider thereupon has some significance because now there's a worldwide famine and economic collapse. As a matter of fact, the rider of the black horse has in his hands a pair of balances. And we, we studied in the Bible a couple of weeks ago that those balances many times were used to weigh food or goods. You would, you would put weight on one side and whatever good, like grain, on the other side, and you would have a certain ratio, X amount of, of dollars per pound or, or whatever for goods. And and during this, this time of this third seal, we studied that, that there was going to be a measure or a meeting out of food because of the famine and economic collapse. In other words, food would have to be measured out and sold, and the rate at which it was sold was astronomical. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it was a penny for a measure of wheat or three measures of barley. And, and again, in our American mindset, we say, well, a penny's not that much money. But according to the Bible, it equates to a day's wages. And so if you, if you went to the, the, the factory this week and you worked a full eight hours or nine hours or ten hours, that's going to be enough money to buy you one measure of wheat, which according to the Bible is enough to make one cake of food. And that doesn't count the provision for your family and for your children. And so, and so, man, the, the famine and the economic collapse during this time will be absolutely horrendous. By the way, that will be a false balance, so to speak. It, get, it, gives, it gives a little more insight into verses like Proverbs 11 and verse 1, where it says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. And you read verses like that, and you think, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, it actually has a lot to do with everything. It has to do with, with someone who has a false balance that has a false kingdom and a false peace and now is taking control of the world. And, and then this fourth seal is opened and, and we saw that this fourth seal is representative of this pale horse and the rider of this pale horse had a name and his name was Death, capital D. Death is now personified on this earth and the Bible says that hell followed him. And hell is also personified. And during the opening of that fourth seal, one-fourth of the population of the earth will be killed with sword, hunger, pestilence, and beast. And man, listen, that economic and, and famine that began at the third seal has now taken full impact so that people are not only hungry, they're dying of hunger. And, and, and listen, not only are they dying of hunger, hunger, but they're dying because of the sword. Remember the second seal. And not only are they dying because of the sword, but they're dying because of pestilence, and they're dying because even the beasts of the earth are killing them. And, and so, man, listen, again, when we study that, it's, it seems almost unimaginable, and yet God's word is true. We did the math concerning that, and we said, hey, you know what, if there's 8 billion people on the planet at that time, and a billion people get raptured out of here before the tribulation, and that, that may be a, a very high number estimation. I hope it's more than a billion at the rapture of the church. But if there's 7 billion people left on this planet during this time period, that means that 1.7 billion people are going to die during that fourth seal and its opening. 
1.75 billion, with a B, people. Now listen, the world has never seen that kind of devastation. The world has never seen that kind of death globally. We cannot imagine what that's going to be like. And friend, you don't want to imagine it. You, you don't want to be here. And, and, then, and then John reveals to us the next seal, the fifth seal. And what he says is, in the fifth seal, he saw under the altar. And so now the, 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 the location changes from earth to the heavenly altar. And what he sees under the altar are souls of people that were slain for their testimony and for the word of God. And and these are what we called tribulation saints. In other words, people that, that, that rejected the Antichrist, rejected the mark of the beast, uh, kept their testimony, kept the name of Jesus Christ. They were rewarded with beheading. And so, and so John looks at the altar in heaven and he sees the souls of these men and these women that have been beheaded for their testimony's sake and for the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. And they're crying out for vengeance saying, how long, oh God, until you judge those that dwell on the earth that did this to us, right? And, and man, just in other words, man, what we take away from that is there will be people that resist what the devil is doing on this earth, but they'll have to resist to death. They'll have to resist to death. And, and again, the, the method of execution will be beheading. And we actually ran through the Bible and we saw that Actually, throughout history, that's the way in which the enemy destroys those that are faithful to God. You saw it in John the Baptist's life. You saw it in James the Apostle's life. Paul was beheaded. People through the New Testament laid down their necks for the gospel's sake. They risked their life for what we believe and hold dear to. And so, man, I'd like to say it gets better, but, but this morning will be the pinnacle. This morning, Revelation chapter 6 will be... Uh, a sermon that truthfully I can't preach in words in the sense of, of expressing other than what God's word says about it, the magnitude and significance of things to come. Can you read Revelation 6 verses 12 to 17 with me and then I'll pray and then we'll, we'll get into your notes this morning. So John writes and he says, I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal and lo, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it's rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. By the way, we sang that this morning, second song, if you were paying attention. When men should pray, they cry out to the mountain instead. And he said, and they said to the rocks and to the or mountains in the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to to stand. Father, we love you this morning, God. As we approach your word, God, may, may each of us right now position our heart in humility before you. God, give us ears to hear. May our heart be willing to receive what you have for us. Lord, if someone here today does not know you as Lord and Savior, God, would you in your Holy Spirit and your word, God, convict their heart of their sin. 
Lord, help them not to experience and not want to want to resist and to experience the things that we're talking about, Lord, that they would come to you as Lord and Savior. God, for the saints today, Lord, help us to see that, that because of Christ, God, you have saved us from wrath to come. And as we study these things, God, may it make our understanding of your salvation even more clear of what you've done for us. God, we love you. We ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, let me start with this, this first point, the signs of the sixth seal, the signs of the sixth seal. And, and so, and so as, as John beholds the, the Lord opening this sixth seal, there are some signs that followed this, and all of these things have to do with creation. And, and what's interesting is that, that everything that we've studied up to this point concerning these six seals has been the work of the Antichrist or the riders of these horses, or the work of devils or evil spirits. We, we've seen the devastation that's happened on this earth because of their working. But now what we begin to see is not the work of the devil and not the work of evil spirits or devils. What we see is the work of God himself. What God is beginning to do in the sixth seal is himself beginning to change the creation. And, and so and so get this key principle in your notes. The Creator works through His creation to reveal Himself. And, and I want to establish a principle this morning that God reveals Himself through His creation and God has the power to change His creation. And so, and so if, you, if you've been at our church for any amount of time and you've been through discipleship and you've been through ministry tools and training, one of the things that we talk about is there is general revelation about God, and then there's specific revelation about God. And let me just distinguish the two. General revelation comes through God's creation. In other words, you can look at creation and you can know that there is a God. There is a creator because of the creation. It has order. It has structure. It's not happenstance. The God of the Bible is the creator, maker, and sustainer of all things, and you can know that through creation itself. Psalm 19 and verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Here's what you need to understand. Anywhere on this planet, in any language, at any time of day, creation reveals that there is a God, that there is a creator. As a matter of fact, it says that the heavens declare the glory of God. And so look up. Now listen, can I, can I take my first rabbit trail right here? Man, if you sit in front of a screen 24-7 you're going to struggle to know that there is a God. By the way, your kids will too. Hello? I mean, I mean, if the heavens are general revelation of God, you would think that we would expose our kids to that and that you would expose yourself to that instead of locking yourself in a room in front of a screen for 24 hours a day, 24 hours total, because that's all there is day and night. So listen, general revelation is available to all people. And specific revelation is things like the Bible. Or in the Old Testament, things like angels that showed up with specific words 
to, to God's people that, that had a specific message. So it's specific to that person, to that individual, or specific words. And, and general revelation is available to everyone. And let me just say this, if you respond rightly to general revelation and you acknowledge that there is a God, you're not a fool, because a fool has said in his heart there is no God. But if you understand that there is a God and you want to know Him, then God will get you the specific revelation that you need. If you're sitting in this room or watching online and you say, hey, I know there's a God, I just don't know who He is. Well, the beautiful thing is God brought you here today for a reason. To know who He is. And know what He's done for you so that you can be saved from your sin. So God works through His creation because He's the Creator. Now, Ecclesiastes 12 verses 1 and 2 says this, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, check this out, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them, while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. Now listen, Ecclesiastes is telling us something, well, it's, it's, it's telling us a lot. Number one, it tells us that we need to know our Creator, by the way, in the days of our youth. In other words, in other words, Now's the greatest time ever to get your kids in children's ministry. Now's the greatest time ever to give them the knowledge of the Creator. It's in their youth so that you can teach them who God is and what He's done. And, and man, I'm, I'm applauding many of you in this room because you work in that ministry, you serve in that ministry, you take the time to teach children about the God of this universe. Thank you. What you're doing is teaching them that there is a creator. That these things don't happen by accident. The big bang is the big bust. There is a God who is an, a God of order and creation and sustenance in this universe. And you're taking the word of God and investing in it. And listen, thank you for doing that. Thank you for partnering with our leadership there, with Colin and other leaders that, that invest in our kids. And, and listen, that's important for you to serve in. And it's important to have your kids in that. But it's also important for you to do that at home. It's important for you to do that at home. And listen, can I just tell you, it's a lot harder when the evil days come to get a young man or a young woman or an old man and an old woman to recognize their creator. It's a lot harder to do that. It's easier to raise children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord that to convince men and women who have already rejected the acknowledgement of God. Now, now again, man, we're going somewhere with this, but you need to understand that, that there is a creation that came from a creator. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. I, I want to just give you, a, again, another passage that deals with the power of the creation as a testimony to God's glory. Look at Romans 1, verses 18 to 23. Not a very popular passage by any stretch of the imagination in our culture at all. But verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them God showed it to them. And, and so what, what Paul is writing about is a group of people that know the truth that God has revealed some things to. And, and because of their knowledge, they actually, instead of repenting, 
They rejected that truth. They rejected the truth that God revealed to them. Look at verse 20. He's going to tell you how God showed this truth of who he is. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. How can you clearly see invisible things? Is that like a superpower? What is that? Well, God's saying that you can actually understand the invisible things of God by understanding the things that are seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And listen, we don't have the time this morning, but we do have the time in ministry tools and training where we take that passage and we say, okay, here's everything that you can know about God through his creation. We don't say everything because we haven't exhausted the list. But here's a lot of things that you can know about God through his creation. And so listen, that's available. That's general revelation. It goes to every language and every tongue in morning and in evening, every day on this planet. It's available. Verse 21, because that when they knew God, They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise. They became fools. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And he changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, to birds, four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Skip down to verse 32. Who, knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. And so here's the point. God's creation bears witness that there's a creator. And all men have access to that revelation. But when a man understands that there is a God, and he chooses to, to reject that knowledge, to not give God glory, they're not thankful for their creator and maker and sustainer. Then, according to Romans 1, God gives them up and God gives them over. And the result of that is going to be judgment and destruction. You say, what? What does that all mean? What it means is that sixth seal gets opened. And the very creation that testifies of who God is and his creative power, and his ability to sustain is now in his hand to do whatsoever he will with it. And so, and so here's the key in your notes. This is the sixth seal. At the end of this tribulation period, the creation itself is going to change. God, the creator, who has given us a creation to know him, is now going to change the creation because it precedes his second coming. And and, and so the first thing that we see in the text is this earthquake. There's this great earthquake. And you say, well, that's nothing new, man. That happens all the time. As a matter of fact, it does happen all the time. And and if you're a Google nerd like I am, you've got to study the Bible, but then you also got to get on Google, right? And so you get on Google and you say, uh, show me recent earthquake activity. And just so you know, uh, last night at about, I don't know, 9 p.m., uh, there's, a, there's a government website that tracks earthquake activity. Now, that's very interesting that the government would be interested in earthquakes, by the way, to me. Isn't it? It's almost like they know some earthquakes are coming. 
And so last night, according to the website, in the past 24 hours, worldwide, there were 52 earthquakes that registered 2.5 on the magnitude scale or higher. Now, just for the record, if, if an earthquake happens and it registers 2.5 on the seismograph, the truth is you're probably not going to feel it. You're not going to feel it. But their little instrumentation that they're measuring with goes off. And so they record it because, hey, you can't feel it, but, but that's actually a legitimate earthquake. And, and they say that 3.0 or above will be felt. And, and by the way, in the last 24 hours of those 52 earthquakes, 12 of them were four and a half or above worldwide. And, and so you say, what, what, what does that mean? It means every single day there's earthquakes all over this planet. And some are significant. As a matter of fact, we talked about one a couple of months ago in February in Turkey and Syria. It was a 7.8 magnitude. There's over 100,000 people, 100,000 people who's, who's lost, lost their life because of that earthquake in Turkey. And, and, and so listen, throughout the Bible, there are earthquakes that show up. But what's interesting is at this point in the tribulation, there's going to be a great earthquake and it has significance you say, why is, this, why is it significant? Because it's connected to the person of Christ. That's why it's significant. So in Matthew chapter 24, at Christ's death on the cross, in Matthew 24, verses 51 to 54, the Bible says, at the crucifixion of Christ, it says, behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, or in two, from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. They broke. They, tore, they were tore in half. If you skip down to verse 54, it says the centurion that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying this, truly this was the son of God. So there was an earthquake connected at Christ's death. If you go a little further in Matthew, in Matthew 28, there was an earthquake connected with his resurrection. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 28 verses 1 to 4, it says at the end of the Sabbath, as it began to, began to draw toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And, and so there's this earthquake connected with Christ's death. There's an earthquake connected with his resurrection. And now there's a great earthquake connected to his second coming. And man, I don't know about you, but I think there's wisdom in, in understanding that. There's, there's an earthquake connected with Christ's second coming. Revelation 17, verses 17 to 18, it says, The seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the, from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And, and, and so listen, at the end of the tribulation period, man, and right before the second coming of Christ, this earth is going to get hit with an earthquake that it has never experienced before. That men on this planet have never... And listen, and again, I'm, I'm not going to do the, 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 the historical analysis of all the earthquakes and how many people were killed and, and how awful they are. It doesn't matter in the sense that this will be the worst ever. And it precedes the second coming of Christ. This earthquake will be one for the ages. Creation will be changed. Number two, the Bible says that the sun is going to be blackened 
as sackcloth of hair. By the way, it doesn't say that the sun is going to be dark, darkened by an atmosphere full of soot or volcanic activity. It actually says that the sun itself will be darkened and become black. And that's prophesied all through Scripture. Amos chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. He says, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. For what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him. That's not a good trade-off. Like you're running from a lion and then a bear gets you? That, that's, that's still bad. Does that make sense? It, it's still bad. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear did meet him or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. It's like you can't escape judgment, right? So shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness. And you say, man, how, that, that's impossible. The sun can't go out. We would lose life on this planet. Are you sure about that? Are you sure the sun can't be darkened? And are you sure it hasn't happened before? You know, in Exodus chapter 10, as, as Moses was confronting Pharaoh to release the children of Israel from Egypt, you guys remember all the plagues that, that happened? You've, you've seen the movie, right? You've seen all the, that's where we get our theology from, like the cartoon. So, okay, well, if you just read the Bible, there's actually some really cool stuff. Like verse 21, it says, the Lord said to Moses, stretch thy hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, even darkness which may be felt. And Moses stretched forth his hand toward heaven, and there was a thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. The lights went out, except in one place, Israel. They saw not one another, neither rose from his place for three days. But all the children of Israel had light in their dwelling. And, and we're going to talk about the sun a little bit more in just a few minutes. But I just want you to know, man, this creation is now being changed by the Creator at this sixth seal, the sun becomes black. It blacks out. And, and man, I can't even imagine total darkness. I mean, you know, man, if you get up in the middle of the night and you got to go to the bathroom, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you find everything to stub your toe on, to trip over, all those clothes you left in the floor. Now you're smashing your head in your dresser or falling down. I mean, you just know. Like the first thing you do, and you don't want to do it, but you got to turn on the light. You know what I'm saying? It's like, ah. But you don't want to kill yourself using the bathroom, right? you you got to have some light. Total darkness. Everybody knows what I'm talking about right now. Only much worse in this situation. Man, the sun's going to be darkened. we got to hurry. Number three, the moon's going to be changed. The moon is going to become as blood. Joel chapter 2, again, prophesied, verse 30 and 31. Concerning this same day, it says, I will show wonders in the heavens and the earth, blood and fire, pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. So he even gives you a time stamp. This is going to happen before the Lord comes. And so no offense to John Hagee, but the blood moon comes at the end of the tribulation, immediately preceding the second coming of Christ for all you blood moon uh, lunatics in the crowd. I mean, is that what the Bible says? I think it's what it says. I don't, I don't know. It, just is, it tells you in Joel chapter 2 when it's going to happen. And then, and then fourthly, the heaven is going to depart as a scroll. And, and we could go to Isaiah chapter 34 where it talks about, again, it's the day of judgment. It's the day of God's vengeance. The heaven is going to roll back. Man, it's going to get rolled up like a scroll. 
and this atmosphere is going to change. The cre- and it even says in Isaiah 34 that it's the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompense. And, it, and Revelation 6 tells us that the mountains and the islands are going to move out of their place. By the way, it says every mountain and every island is going to move. And I got a ton of other passages. As a matter of fact, I think you have a little spot in your notes that says companion passages. Do you have that in your notes? So you would do well to study Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21, because when you study those passages, they connect right back to Revelation chapter 6. Specifically, the verses I gave you, or, or, or the passage I gave, they give you the whole entirety of the tribulation period. But man, these things about the creation are locked into those passages. As a matter of fact, Luke's gospel says that these things are called the signs in the sun and the moon and the stars and upon the earth. God's giving signs that his coming is is soon. And and so in in your notes, these are the signs in the heavens. Now, Many of you, have, how many of you have read the creation story in Genesis 1? Everybody, everybody read that? Most people read that. Can you go back to Genesis 1 or just look on the screen real quick? Look, look, God actually gave you a nugget back there that you missed all these years. And so Genesis 1 and verse 14, when, when God created the lights in heaven and outer space, he, he said in verse 14, let there be lights in the firmament of heaven to divide the day and the night and let them be for what? For signs. How interesting is that? That the sun and the moon and the stars, and, and he goes through that list as you, as you read through that passage, he puts these, these lights in heaven, in, in the second heaven or in outer space. But man, right off the bat, he tells you that the first thing that they're for is signs. And then he says, oh yeah, they're also for seasons and for days and years. And, and we would say, yeah, that makes sense, right? We can, we can measure our calendar year. We, we know fall and spring and, and, and we know the seasons. But can I just tell you that those things in the heavens, man, they're for signs. And, and if you study your Bible, you know that the Jews, the nation of Israel, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 22, they require a sign. So man, in that tribulation period, God is giving the signs of his second coming and so, man, and again, the devastation and the impact of these things on the earth, there's just no words to measure it. There's just absolutely no words to measure it. You would think if you saw that, that you would just humble yourself before the Creator. Right? May we always say, well, if I saw it, then I'd believe it. Well, these people are going to see it. And then let me give you the second point for time's sake, the screams, the screams associated with the sixth seal. Because man, the response is not what it should have been. When the inhabitants of this earth that are still alive see this sixth seal opened, it gives us a list of of men, and the Bible tells us their response. It says they hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains and, and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us. Hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne from the wrath of God, or the wrath of the Lamb. And so in, in your first sub-point of that, the identity of them that scream, and, and God actually gives you seven types of men 
that will be alive on this earth at that time. Number one, he says, the kings of the earth and great men and rich men and chief captains and mighty men and bondmen and free men. And listen, if anybody has made it through those first five seals, this is who's left. And these are the men that will see the signs in the heaven. And man, listen, when they begin to see it, they scream. But what they don't scream for is forgiveness. What they don't scream for is repentance. They scream to be hidden. Number two, the blank in your notes is the reaction of those that scream. The Bible says that those men that see these things hid themselves. They went to the dens and to the rocks of the mountains because, by the way, the mountains have been flattened. And so all that's left are caves and piles of rubble, and there's nothing left. And man, they'll, they'll try to cover themselves and their sin and their rebellion with anything they can get their hands on and with creation itself, which is being destroyed. You see, they, they actually have the same response at that time at the Lord's presence as Adam and Eve had at the beginning concerning the Lord's presence. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. After Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, in their rebellion to God's word. The Bible says they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. This is after their sin. And man, instead of running to God and saying, God, we messed up, we've sinned, we've broken your law, please forgive us, have mercy on us. The Bible says Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. See, sinful man is really good at hiding himself. Sometimes they even hide themselves in churches. Sometimes they hide themselves in pulpits. Sinful man seeks to hide his sin. But friend, you can't. Faced with the presence of God, the right reaction is always repentance. Number three, the request of those that scream. And, and what's interesting is uh, unbelievers pray. And they said... Some, some words. They, they, they cried out. They begin to cry out. And again, you would think after seeing what they've seen, the five seals and now creation itself becoming unraveled, you would think that would draw a man to repentance, to cry out to God, God, forgive me. God, help me. God, save me. But the answer to that is no. What they cried to was the mountains and the rocks. In other words, they cried and prayed to the creation instead of the creator. Begging, begging to die rather than to repent. And there's no end to the depravity of our sin nature. Hosea chapter 10 and verse 8, this was prophesied in the Old Testament, and Hosea is, uh, is a minor prophet. Uh, minor because of volume, not because of significance. 
He says in, in Hosea 10 and verse 8, The high places also of Avon, the sin of Israel, shall be destroyed. The thorn and thistle shall come up upon the altars, and they shall say to the mountains, Cover us, and to the hills, fall on us. And, and man, lost man thinks that death is annihilation, that that's just the end of it. But the reality is that's only the beginning of an eternity separated in God, in God's eyes, in a place called hell, and ultimately the lake of fire. Death doesn't end it. What's interesting about this point is that in Luke chapter 23, when Christ was walking the road to Calvary, he quotes this verse out of Hosea. And and I want to give you the context of this because this is powerful. Man, as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and they they, they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus, and there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him, right? There's this, this mob of people following Christ after this mock trial to his death, his impending death. And man, these women are wailing, they're lamenting, they know an injustice has been done. And man, Jesus Christ, facing his death, turns to this group of people and says, daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in which they shall say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? Can you imagine the resolve of Jesus Christ? To say to a nation of people, bro, you're weeping for me, but, but you need to weep for yourself. Because as a nation, you've rejected who I am. You've rejected your Messiah. You've rejected your King. You've had the testimony of creation, general revelation. You've had the testimony of God's Word, the law. You've rejected it. There's a day coming soon where you're going to beg the mountains to hide you. That's crazy. That's wild. If you ever think that you've got a a hand over on your sin nature, man, you need to think again. Men that hate God, hate His creation, hate His Word, in their final moments, refuse to humble themselves for a holy God. Last point is this, the significance of the sixth seal. So verse 17 says, the great day of his wrath is come. Who shall be able to stand? And what's interesting in this passage is this, there's a question that gets asked right at the end of this verse. The question is, who's going to be able to stand? I mean, everything that we've read through these six seals leading up to the fact that Christ returns in vengeance to judge sin and the sinner. Who's going to be able to stand? You think because you're a king of the earth, you're going to be able to stand? Well, you don't know who I am. It doesn't matter who you are. I'm too good, man. When I see, when I see Christ, man, I'm going to kill him again. You're a fool. Well, I'm good, man. I got a bank account that's going to protect me. You, 
you won't have anything left. As a matter of fact, in Isaiah 13, verses 9 to 13, it says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, cruel, both with wrath and fierce anger. And I know this isn't what we want on Sunday morning. But it is what God wants for his son. To lay the land desolate, he shall destroy the sinners thereof out of it. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth. I think we read that. And the moon shall not cause her light to shine. I think we read that. And I will punish the world for their evil and their wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. And I will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. I'll make a man more precious than fine gold, even the man than the golden wedge of Ophir. Therefore, I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place the wrath of the Lord of hosts and in the day of his fierce anger. Who's going to stand before him on that day? Here's the answer. You can, fit, you can write in your blank. No one. You could also write in there, not me. <laughs> you won't. And listen, if you're saved today, you need to understand that God has, has saved you from some things. He saved you from the penalty of your sin, for sure. And listen, you, you may think, hey, that's just, I'm not going to hell. And that's true. But man, He saved you from so much more. As a matter of fact, if you happen to be unsaved and the rapture of the church happened today, you would be part of the group of people that would enter the tribulation period today. And these things would begin to unfold today. God tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 10 that we're to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now listen, I know most Christians read that verse and say, man, that's, that's hell. He's talking about hell. And thank God I'm not going to hell. And listen, I'm not minimizing the significance of hell. But most Christians are just biblically illiterate and don't know how to read the Bible. God says that he's delivered us from the wrath to come. Everything that we've studied in Revelation chapter 6 is the unfolding of his wrath. You see, what God has saved you from is not just the consequence of your sin and the penalty of your sin and the eternal judgment and lake of fire, but He saved you from this appointed wrath on this earth that will unfold. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9 says, God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we've got some people that can't read their Bible that think the church goes through the tribulation period. Well, not according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. There's an appointed wrath, thank God, that we have been delivered from. Hello? There's an appointed wrath that has nothing to do with you and I as a believer in Christ. And man, I don't know how that should affect you. I got some ideas how it should affect you. It ought to make you rejoice. 
It ought to make you sing. It ought to make you serve. It ought to make you humble yourself before the Lord. And man, whatever He's willing to ask of you to do for Him, to be used for Him for His glory, the answer should just be yes. Because God, You have saved me from the wrath to come. I'm not appointed to this wrath. Thank You. Thank You. Thank You. Thank You. There is nothing that my Lord can ask of me that would be too much to ask. Hello? (laughs) And listen, and maybe you're here today and you're lost, or maybe you're watching online and you're lost. I don't don't know how else to, to beg of you to consider your eternity. You see, you see, when you choose to reject the revelation of God through his creation, and when you choose to reject the revelation of God through his word, you choose to reject Christ, and, and by choosing to reject Christ, you choose his wrath. Man, nobody in their right mind. I say that, but I also know that there are people that have actually chosen to receive it. Does that make sense? And I can't understand it. Because somehow in their mind, they think that, that, man, they don't have to submit themselves to a God. They don't have to repent of their sin. They don't think that their sin is that bad. I don't understand it. I beg of you, man, if you don't know Christ, and turn to Him. Cry out and run to Him. Man, ask Him for forgiveness. Ask Him for salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. Don't choose His wrath. Chooses forgiveness. Chooses forgiveness. Man, that's a, that's a sober way to lead into the Lord's Supper, isn't it? <laughs> but, but can I just tell you, it makes it more real than ever. Knowing what God has saved us from through His finished work makes what we're about to do in the Lord's Supper so much more significant. And so with that being said, if you're joining us via live stream, we're going to dismiss you now. For those of us in the room, you know, the Lord's Supper is an ordinance for the New Testament church.